I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Episodes this fall have centered on the necessity and power of listening and civil conversation in bringing individuals and groups of people together. But what happens when a rift develops between people? How is it that individuals forgive and heal a damaged relationship? What is required to bring ourselves back together? In the wake of the national election and the tensions associated with it and life living with the pandemic, this seemed the most interesting set of questions to explore next in our journey around the word together. So in this episode, recorded on November 4th, the day after the elections when tensions remained high and the final results uncertain, I called upon two individuals important in my own spiritual formation to start a conversation on grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Father Josh Whitfield is the pastoral administrator at my parish, St. Rita's Catholic Community, and thus I see him and hear him preach regularly. You can follow Father Josh at FR Josh Texas on Twitter, an excellent follow. Reverend Alina Williams is the Midway Chaplain here at Parish, and so I see her and hear her preach almost every day as part of our daily chapel program. These two spiritual leaders join me to talk about the power of grace, the Christian call to forgive, and the strategies we can use in teaching young people to forgive and reconcile. I hope you find the conversation to be as thought-provoking as I did. Enjoy. Pleased today on the From My Angle podcast, if not a bit intimidated, to be joined by two individuals who are friends of mine and among my most influential spiritual mentors, Father Josh Whitfield, Mother Lena Williams. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast, friends. Hey, David, how are you? Great. Thank Hi, you. Lena. Glad <laughs> to be here. So for those of you who don't know, Father Josh is the pastoral administrator at my parish, St. Rita Catholic Community, and thus I see him and hear him preach regularly. Follow him on Twitter at FR Josh, Father Josh Texas. Excellent follow. Reverend Alina Williams, I'm sure familiar to a majority of my listeners, the Midway Chaplain here at Parish. And so I see her and hear her preach almost every day as part of our daily chapel program. So you may be asking, this is recorded the day after election day. You may be wondering, why did I call these two spiritual leaders together? Well, in this podcast theme, you by now are familiar with on the word together. I felt these days past this fractious election still ongoing in discerning its result. I wanted to spend a few episodes talking about how we humans come back together when a relationship frays. We've talked so much in the season to date around listening and how we come together in civil dialogue. But what happens when we fall apart? What does grace look like? What does forgiveness look like? What about reconciliation? And I didn't know two better people to help me get this conversation than these two priests who I admire very much. So I'm so glad to have you with me. Interestingly enough, you all share a distant past, and I thought the audience would be interested in it. And you could dust off some cobwebs to give us some of your long personal acquaintance, uh, at least a, a distant personal acquaintance, interwoven somewhat with Father Josh's non-traditional pathway to the priesthood in the Catholic Church. So Alina, Tell us when and how you first met Josh Whitfield. All right. Thank you. Um, yes, Josh and I met 
I don't recall the year. He probably has a better tab on that since he was uh, doing his field ed, what we call field ed placement mm -hmm. uh, in seminary years. And I was working as a, um, a counselor at Camp Crucis, which is uh, the diocesan camp in the Diocese of Fort Worth. And I worked there for three summers um, during college. And Josh was in seminary, as I said, doing his field ed with, um, with a, a mutual friend of ours, Father Tom Hightower, mm -hmm. um, who I have known almost my entire life, a good uh, priest friend of my dad, who is also a priest. And um, I remember uh, just thinking that uh, that Josh was very smart, like maybe too smart for his own good. And all of us who were on staff um, were just sort of shocked that someone who was just a few years older than we all were um, was, you know, sparring with some of the wisest uh, clergy that we knew um, from our years at camp. And so he, he was very influential to all of us on staff that summer, even though he was only there for a week. So I don't know, Father Josh, smart, sparring. These are interesting word choices. Josh, do, do you want to provide any of your own color to this recollection that Alina's provided? No, I mean, it's quite, Alina's quite right. I mean, I, 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 on the smart thing, you know, I've, uh, I've gotten older and I'm not as quick and I'm, I'm, I'm I've chilled out a little bit. So, uh, but, you know, Camp Crucis, back in the day, and this would have been like early aughts or something, right? Something about like, yeah. it, it, you know, Camp Crucis is, is, is a special place. It's it's still a special place, but it really was a special place for a lot of us back then when we were younger. And, um, you know, Tom Hightower was my first boss uh, when I was ordained to pre Episcopal priest. Uh, and and there's, many, there's many things here I do at St. Rita uh, that, what I, that are what I call Tom Hightower-isms. <laughs> and because uh, he was he is a great pastor he's great and and to have spent time with him was great and you know the fruits of Camp Crucis are are clear I mean in Alina's ministry and in mine and and it's just there was something cool and full of God going on and so I'd like to take credit for you know uh, Alina's flourishing you know but uh, it, it was more the Holy Spirit on her I should assume <laughs> but don't you feel i mean like when i look back on those years alina I mean, i'm just super grateful for for the time because it was you had great counselors you had great kids you had it was just awesome and it and it it produced you and i right so. right and i mean i i would also tell you that um still in in the diocese of fort worth as well as many places around the country now we have several clergy several episcopal yeah. priests who um, I either grew up with in that time period or again within a, a graduating class or two um, produced many clergy, many spiritual leaders, many people who still work in either camping, um, church camping or in um, in the uh, broader church um, arena who have just tremendous influence. And I mean, the one thing we all have in common is Camp Crucis. So. Yeah. It's neat. It's and 20 cool. years later, here, here we are. But by now, any listener paying close attention is likely confused. We've used priests <laughs> somewhat interchangeably across the Episcopal and Catholic Church. And Josh has talked about being ordained an Episcopal priest. But here I am telling you that he is the pastoral administrator at my Catholic Church. So there's an interesting story here, Josh. Uh, give these now confused listeners some clarity as to how you found your place in your 
pre- to, to your present ministry? So, you know, I, I eventually I became an Episcopal priest and served in the Episcopal Diocese Fourth for a long time. And then uh, I converted to Roman Catholicism. And, and after a time of being a Roman Catholic, I uh, discerned uh, Roman Catholic priesthood through what's called the past revision of John Paul II. Um, you know, and that's just its own long spiritual winding journey, you know, that, that is a podcast in and of itself. But, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, what I, to go back to Camp Crucis, and I, I don't want to turn this into a, a pro, you know, Camp Crucis podcast, but it is, you know, the one thing I remember about Camp Crucis is, or one of the many things is, is you have people like me, and I grew up on sort of the Anglo-Catholic, hardcore, conservative end of things, which was the Episcopal Diocese of Fort Worth at the time, uh, and that's just what I grew up with. And, and and but but Camp Crucis wasn't defined by that. Camp Crucis was defined by fun, charity, camp, uh, arguing back and forth, and st- stuff like that, which which is the beauty of Anglicanism, if I'm honest with you, you know? And, 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 so, and so that's why it's just kind of cool, curious, uh, beautiful, awesome that you, that, that you got people like me and people like Alina working to build the kingdom, uh, you know? And, and so that's how I ended up here. I mean, I've stopped trying to make sense of it. <laughs> and, and so uniquely you are a married catholic chief married catholic and the father of four if you google josh's name you'll see an incredible article written um about him maybe um uh, six months eight, seven months ago just right yeah, before, the before pandemic. covid yeah. yeah yeah talking about um his unique position as a, a, a married priest which um uh, again could be another <laughs> podcast for those of you that are uh, yeah you know and on that you know the I just say there, there's a lot of good Episcopal clergy, you know, Lena, I mean, she's trying to uh, lead a faith community and do a family. It, it's just, it's just in Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, it's, it's unique, but, but, you know, my, my, my old Episcopal colleagues, man, they've been doing this for a long time. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a weird, wonderful, beautiful thing. It is indeed. So uh, glad to have you all here. Let's jump into the topic at hand, which is this uh, ringer we've all been through the last eight months, pandemic, stress and separation, social justice protests and the responses to them roiling cities across the country. And then most recently, this contentious election and it's yet to be determined results here the day after the election that we're recording this. So how have you all seen the divisiveness of the time play out in your respective communities? Josh, let's start with you, what does it uh, look like, sounded like, felt like to you as a pastoral leader? Well, I think a lot of my people emotionally uh, are, are worn out, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's kind of like when, when you get uh, into a little fight with your spouse, you get angry, uh, you know, you're going to go to the other side of the room for a while and you know, my wife could be 100% right, but I'm not going to let her know about that until maybe tomorrow, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, that on a global scale, I think is kind of what we see. And, and, and so I think people are just sort of angry and bitter and worn out, um, you know, punch drunk by all the stuff that they've seen on TV. And so the, it's a weird thing where they're, 
their 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 personal lives, their 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 lives that they re can reach out and touch might be perfectly fine, but but they're depressed because of of the screens in front of their faces, and and in the aggregate, it, it, it's 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 uh, uh it's it's not been pleasant, right? It's have you horrible. seen a have you seen a fraying relationships? Yeah, definitely, uh, and it and it and and I I, I don't know what y'all's experience was, but you know, back in 20, I was not looking forward to 2020 before COVID came because I saw in 2016, because of the politicized nature of the thing, uh, you know, so, some people didn't want to come to church because, because it was just too emotionally tense for them. Right. And, 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 and I did my hardest at St. Rita to, to make it a non-politicized space. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it, it's, you know, People, people have isolated, and be, because they just don't, you know, they don't want to. They don't want the trauma of being in that conflict, and 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 I respect that. And I'm, we need to heal in in, in our, our faith communities. What do you What do you see from your perspective, Alina? Um, I would agree as far as the sort of general um, not looking forward to 2020 um, as an election year. I. Um, I recall in 2016, we had quite a, a big stir here among our, our student body. And, um, you know, as a, as a preacher who fancies myself occasionally prophetic, um, I, you know, got a lot of um, feedback, we'll call it. Um, anytime anything could have been construed as political in my preaching, mm. uh, and, you know, that has not really been the case um, this year, uh, which is, again, a pleasant surprise, um, not because I don't like feedback on my homilies, <laughs> but because um, I, I think part of what has shifted um, <clears throat> is that um, the, the responses, the, you know, nationwide responses to some of the injustice um, and the systemic evils that we see um, in our in our country right now um, have been responded to very differently, um, I think, than they were four years ago. Um, being having been recently, uh, you know, transported from Louisiana to Texas four years ago, um, I remember, you know, the Alton Sterling um, in Baton Rouge, uh, and then the shooting that happened between police and um, you know, someone, an angry person after that, you know, I mean, it's just, it was, it was also very shocking. And this year, m many of the things that precipitated um, the protests were also extremely shocking. But I think that the way that, um, the way that people have responded uh, is different this time around than it was four years ago. And so I think that people are more open to seeing, um, the injustice that's in our world and feeling compassion toward it, as opposed to um, trying to push it off or trying to, um, you know, say that individuals are responsible for the things that happen to them, as opposed to saying that maybe there's systems in place that mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, bent toward one particular population or against another. Um, so uh, what I've seen in our community is a lot of what I would call just growth. Um, and I would attribute it primarily to, you know, the work that, um, that Dave, that you've done, uh, the work that we've done as uh, an inclusive community, all the efforts that we've made, because this is a whole crop 
a whole new crop of students from, from what it was four years ago. Um, so I know that the work that we've done in our lower school, in our middle school, up into upper school has all, um, I think, affected the way that this particular, um, this upper school community in particular, because they are very attentive um, at, this, at this stage, uh, but as well as our middle school students and even our lower school students, they, they all seem a lot more um, open to the possibility that the world isn't perfect. Um, just because it's perfect for them doesn't mean it's perfect for everyone. Um, and so I think that that's been, that's been a shift that I've seen um, that really does help, um, help people have that compassion for each other. Mm -hmm. And also that um, just that mutual seeing, you know, I see you, I hear you. I don't, I don't share the experience, but I can empathize with you. So. Yeah, that kind of pulls you from Josh's notion of being isolated and 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 and, and just really rec reclusive, like almost hiding from the contact of not wanting to go to service mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the other ideal, which would be optimal, which is that, you know, you can find grace and, and compassion in, in those communities. But if you're isolated, if you're worn out, uh, if you're if you're anxious, those are all precursors to impatience with one another, to being short, to being short tempered. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think as you navigate the schools, the communities that you're involved with, the pastoral communities, um, you, you know, are you seeing that on the individual level as well, Josh, just shorter, uh, kind of shorter um, um, wicks, if you will, on their candle of patience with yeah. one another? No, I think, you know, I think Alina's point is correct. And I, I've I said this, uh, our observation is is correct. I, I, I think in the, you know, on November 4th, 2020, um, in the weeks preceding, the weeks after, I think we're particularly tense, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, but earlier on in the summer, you know, to, to George Floyd's murder, right? Memorial Day uh, it, and its effects, the, 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 the visual of it, you know, we all watched a, a man die. And, and that video for me had you know, sort of a Calvary-like quality to it, right? And 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 it and it changed people, right? And so I noticed that in my conversation, in, in my parish. There are people in my parish who are open to conversations about systemic racism, uh, 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 about racism in general, that before George Floyd, they, they weren't as open. And that's a good thing, right? And, and so, to try to have those very slow, uh, necessary conversations to try and to try and get people not to close up, but but to gather around and talk, right? To move the ball uh, in the right direction. Um, you know that 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 is something that's different from 2020, right? Um, and and my hope is is that the ag aggravation of a present election. Um, I hope. I hope it doesn't ruin it, you know. Yeah, it's interesting if you look at national um, sentiment and data and even have anecdotal conversation, it seems like everybody realizes that we are a polarized citizenry at this point, mm -hmm. yet everyone also seems to, to hope for the type of um, coming together and open-mindedness that Alina was alluding to. So that leaves me being more optimistic than not and also pivots me to this this notion of grace, whether it's between two people where being short-tempered and isolated and anxious uh, become shorter with each other in a personal relationship or more collectively in the communities of which we're a part, like what, is, what does grace mean? And, and really, Alina, like in the, 
religious context, how do you, as, as, um, as, as a religious leader, explain grace? You know, Dave, um, grace is, is a, it's a word we throw around a lot within the Christian context. And I think uh, even growing up, knowing sort of what grace was-ish, uh, it, it's still just kind of a, it's this wonderful but murky concept. And I think part of what is so hard to understand about it is that um, within our cultural context, our American cultural context, we have sort of two things working against us as far as grace is concerned. One is that, um, you know, as a, as a democracy, we have the separation of church and state, which is, um, as far as politics is concerned, I think is, is good. Um, but as far as understanding something like grace, it's a little confusing. And then we also have a, a, this drive um, for individualism and for um, capitalism and, you know, like survival of the fittest sort of, you know, whoever is at the top is clearly the winner uh, or has it all or is perfect or whatever, you know, whatever characteristic you want to fill in that blank with. But the thing that that's so fantastic about grace is that um, it's, it's God, God's unmerited favor and love toward us, no matter what. Mm. And that is so hard um, to understand because it's so hard to accept. Mm. I think, mm. um, I think it's very hard for us to think that there's nothing that we can do that's going to make God love us more. There's nothing that we can do that's going to make God love us any less. Uh, there's nothing that we can't do. You know, if you're supposed to do something and you don't do it, well, guess what? God still loves you. Uh, God loves you just as much before you decided not to do the thing as God loves you now. Like there's nothing, there is nothing that we can do that will separate us from God's love. And that is really, really, really hard to accept because we are so driven uh, and so sort of motivated um, by extrinsic value and reward and um, incentives, you know, that, that it's really, it's this sort of heady-ish, but really not heady at all. It's really like a very organic um, thing that once you know that and you really know it with your whole being, um, it's just the most wonderful thing in the whole wide world to experience. Yeah, it's a super um, powerful, but still ephemeral phenomenon that you're describing. But if we who are of faith, um, believe that we're getting the type of grace that you described from from God, unconditional, then I think the next question, Josh, is really, hmm, how do we actually practice that in our daily actions? Like, how do we then become bestowers of grace? So can you help, can, like, give specific examples of yeah. what grace begins to look like when we give it to others? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I would say, I mean, um, first things first is, you know, I, I, I am in in our present situation, I'm, I'm really hopeful and indeed optimistic about communities like parish churches, uh, uh, schools, um, the, the, these, these forms of community, which, which are basically in-person communities, right? You've heard me preach about that before. Um, and, and the reason I'm optimistic about that is because of the way I know grace works, right? And, and so grace grace is exactly as Alina described it, uh, I, I believe, and, and 
and the other sort of beautiful truth is that is that grace is mediated, right? Grace is it, grace comes to us is mediated through through matter through material touch basically to use that image. Uh, I think of you know um, it's uh, Athanasius the Great, right? The Church Fathers they when they they ask the question why did God become flesh? You know why did God assume flesh in Jesus? Uh, the, the the fathers gave a one-word answer, and that is philanthropia, love of love of humanity, right? That's the only thing they could come up with. Why did God become flesh and dwell among us? Philanthropia, and and, and so in in God in God Himself is this is this is this desire to get close, right? And and, and to touch even. And 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 that sort of that sort of act of God is underneath everything sacramental, right? Uh, the Eucharist is 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 sensual. Baptism is sensual. The anointing of the sick is sensual. Um, marriage is a sensual coming together. And, and 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 so and that that logic of philanthropia uh, works all the way down. So so it. it, it just as I love the way Elena said it, you know, I see you, I see you, right? Um, a smile, a touch, I, I hear you. And, and, and we could have the greatest technology in the world the, and the most sophisticated Zoom, Zoom could make, but, but nothing will beat a, a, a student, um, you know, with a teacher you know, in, in that one-on-one -on -one beautiful exchange or a chaplain or a priest. And, and so that, that I would say, you know, grace being what grace is, 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 is constant, like Alina said, but it also touches us, right? In the catechism of the church, the Catholic church, it says in the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, Jesus touches us. It's my favorite line in the whole catechism, right? And so that's how I think it breaks that isolation is 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 human touch right. so in these times of separation and division and this concept of forgiveness that we're talking about grace can be a form of forgiveness it's it's me it's me seeing you and making you visible acknowledging that the fatigue or anxiety you're feeling may mean that your performance on a test as a student or in a work environment may, may not reach what you have reached in previous endeavors and i grant you grace uh, for that, or that you being short with me, um, I grant you grace, understanding, uh, and for, uh, ultimately forgiveness, uh, understanding the circumstances. So, like, let's try and move from grace then to forgiveness. Like, we know uh, the Bible itself, just several weeks ago, we had the reading from Book of Matthew, chapter 18, which were advised not to forgive seven times, but 77 times. And so, Alina, like transitioning from grace, a form of forgiveness, to forgiveness itself. Why? Why is it that Christians are compelled to forgive? Um, that's a great question, Dave. So one of my um, favorite things to remind Christians of uh, is the word Christian. It actually means little Christ. Um, and so to claim to be a little Christ means that we do our absolute and very best to act just the way that Jesus Christ himself did when he was on the face of the planet, walking around, loving people, forgiving people, healing people, 
removing um, obstacles and barriers that kept people apart from each other. Um, and it is our aim as Christians to be just like the one who from the instrument of his death, the cross said, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, those are really, really, really big footsteps to find ourselves in, um, particularly these days. Um, but it's certainly what we're called to do. And, um, also I, you know, just, Something Josh said earlier made me remember um, one of my very favorite uh, Brene Brown quotes, who actually calls herself an Episcopalian. Um, she says that it's really hard to hate people close up. And so when we're able to be together, to look people in the eye, to touch people, to be together with them in person, um, it's really hard to maintain some of those barriers that we've put up ourselves, some of those divisions that we allow to separate us as opposed to just see them as things that make us individuals or things that make us um, unique. Uh, we let them, we let them separate us. Um, and so as Christians, when we take on that name Christian at baptism, um, it's our call to be as much uh, like Jesus was as we are, as we are able to each and every single day. Yeah. I Josh, exemplifying my intimidation of being spending some time with you this afternoon, I was reading some Ignatian uh, spirituality. And, you know, it talked about this difference between um, uh, forgiveness, which one person grants another, and reconciliation, which requires two people, right, to not only forgive each other, but to actually commit to doing what is required to restore the relationship. And I found that to be um, so powerful, you know, in drawing a, a line of nuance or distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation, one of the sacraments in our respective churches, the sacrament of reconciliation. So can you speak some more to this difference between forgiving, as Alina described it, being Christians, right, many, many, many Christs, to what it means to be reconciled with another? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, forgiveness is, uh, is an act often of the will, right? Jesus said, forgive, you know, forgive your enemies. Um, and, and, but he didn't say anything about, uh, you know, how you happen to feel about it, you know? Uh, he didn't say anything about, uh, you know, fixing the situation. He, he just said, forgive, right? And so that's like your first act, right? Mm -hmm. um, to, to forgive. And now what, what is that? You know, it's, it's, it's refusal to hate. It, it's it's a refusal to be. To, to, it's a it's a refusal to become wicked yourself. Hmm. Um, it, it's a refusal. If if you're going to forgive your enemy, it, it's a refusal to become an enemy to your enemy. So it's it, it's exactly as Alina said. It is it is the willful choice to be a little Christ, right? It, it, even in the face of a wicked world and wicked people, right? For God so loved the world. That he gives only son. Well, that world was pretty nasty. That world crucified him, right? And 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 but to but 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 to nonetheless be a, a, um, a little Christ. Now reconciliation comes after after a death and a resurrection, right? Um, Jesus. It's only when Jesus was in the upper room on and you know in John twenty where he, he showed his wounds and he said, "Peace be with you," right? And, and and so reconciliation is this thing, this this sort of 
human and, and, and godly thing that happens um, once, once there's been, um, you know, as it says in the Psalms, mercy and truth are met together, right? So, so once there's been an acknowledgement of truth, once there's been, you know, repentance and healing and, and, and all that very sort of slow work uh, that is required of two people to, to, to sit down in communion again, that, that comes after forgiveness, right? And, and, and that's, that's where you, you, you know, what are required are all the human arts of, of, of patience and understanding and tears and, 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 and listening. And, and that's the hard work, right? And you, you can see this in, in history, right? You know, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee after apartheid in South Africa, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the Rwanda, the way the Christians, um, you know, work to heal themselves after that genocide. And, and um, you know, that, that, that takes real work. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is reconciliation is harder than forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, two different kind of types of heart, I guess, you know, because, <laughs> you know, again, I'm, and, you know, I've, I've dealt with in my ministry, you know, genuine victims of horrific acts done to them by, mm -hmm. by people and they really do wrestle with, do I have to forgive this person? What does that look like? And, and you know, me, Mr. You know, happy priest, theologian with no problems in my life, you know, I'm really, um, I'm really sensitive about saying, oh, you just need to forgive. I mean, because emotionally, some people are, are genuine victims and you have to respect that. And so the, the game is, is, is to try and uh, allow people to see the the liberation that Jesus provides in this radical gospel of forgiveness, right? Yeah, that was interesting, Lena. I wanted maybe have you build on that because this whole idea of you all hear confessions and and council parishioners and um, members of your school communities, etc. So, like, do you see uh, do you see them struggle with granting forgiveness as Josh was just describing it, and maybe even short of the heinous uh, acts that uh, Josh was alluding to, but even on things that you and I would determine to be petty, uh, um, a, a tease, uh, a, a, a criticism, a personal criticism of, of, of work, like, do you see a, um, a struggle to forgive? Yeah, Dave, um, I think that forgiveness uh, is, is more easily uh, sort of explained and talked about than it is actually done. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of times um, we see it... Um, even more as a, as a virtue uh, as opposed to an actual action that we have to take. But I think Josh is right saying that it, it really is a choice that you have to make. It's a willful decision. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's necessary to repeat it. You know, it's, um, you might come to terms with something that has happened to you or something that's been done to you one day and you're, you know, content about it and then it might come back again. Um, I also think that um, something I've experienced uh, in my own ministry is that, you know, there's a difference between um, people who come seeking forgiveness, um, you know, uh, dealing, dealing with something that has been done to them. So forgiving others versus forgiving themselves, which mm -hmm. I think, um, I think is even harder for a lot of people to do. Um, it's easy to forgive someone who has maybe wronged you a little bit, but if you've been, wronging yourself your whole life and you just realize it then that's that's a much um much you know harder thing to sort of wrap our minds around and to understand but another thing that that we hear um 
I believe it's in Matthew's gospel um, in relationship to this forgiveness quote that you mentioned earlier, um, is that, you know, we're, we're supposed to forgive other people and I would say ourselves in the same way that God forgives us. And, mm -hmm. and that kind of comes full circle to that thing I was talking about earlier with grace. Um, if it's hard for us to accept that we've been forgiven, it's going to be hard for us to truly grasp how much forgiveness we are then supposed to extend as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that, again, forgiving ourselves versus forgiving others is an issue um, that is, you know, kind of to each, each his or her own. But I think also really grasping um, just how much God forgives us, I think, is really it really can be like a spiritual two by four over the head at times where you just feel completely taken aback because how can it possibly be true? You know, I, yeah. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And in the sense that, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people and I, and I think I'm thinking to myself, you know, like brother, God is cooler than that. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's, 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 we 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 have we have a hard time con conceiving the wideness of God's mercy, right? And so sometimes I'll point like in John 17 where he's praying, um, for, you know he's he's about to be arrested and crucified the next day, and he's praying for his disciples, may they be one and all that stuff. And he said, and, and especially as that line he says, I, that you know may they be where I am. And I point out to people, I said, look. In the very moment that he's making this request to the Father, mm -hmm. he's being betrayed, right? People are running away from him. He's Judas is doing what he's doing. The very moment he says, I want them with me, right? Mm -hmm. And so for you and I, even at our worst, most Judas-like moment, what is Jesus praying? May, may he or she be with me mm -hmm. where I am, right? It's not in God's nature to be mad like we are. To hold grudges like we are, mm. right? And so, and so that's you know the the for, allowing forgiveness of self is a, is a is a big thing, a right? huge a huge thing I think. And one of the more consistent themes of your preaching, um, Josh, as I hear it, is you know we can't be conditional in our Christianity, and this is super hard, right? So we can't just forgive those people whose thoughts align with us. Like you've got to push that you've got to push your Christianity out across mm -hmm. all right and that is uh yeah, it's a super super challenging quest all i think christians uh who are committed to their faith are, are trying to live out so in wrapping up i mean we all work with young people i know when i talk in chapel about um forgiveness it's really a lot more about reconciliation like it's one thing to say sorry like it's important to say you're sorry boys and girls but if you don't change your actions you know um then it's not complete. And that's really this difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So in speaking to parents or other educators who might be listening, you know, how, what, what do you have to suggest as the most effective or helpful ways to teach our kids to do the type of forgiving and, and reconciling that we've talked about today? I'll let you start us off on, on that, Josh. Well, for me, I, I would think it, you know, saints and heroes and examples are powerful for for me yeah. and they've always been so take for example th there's there's a, a woman named by the name of Keisha Thomas and and I first noticed her back in the 90s um, there there was a, um, a, a KKK rally outside just near the University of Michigan in the early 90s yeah and, 
and it's this this poor old clansman with a stick and a dumb sign uh, got stranded from the other racists and and he was surrounded by counter protesters who started beating him up and here's Keisha Thomas this University of Michigan student mm -hmm. she she broke through the crowd and placed her body over this evil man mm -hmm. and was just taking hits herself shooing him away and saying no 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 Jesus wouldn't do this right yeah that is that's that's Christianity right and yep, the yep. second I saw it, I mean, you can find it on YouTube. Yep. The second I saw it, I, 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 I mean, that burned in my soul. And, and, and if we can show our kids heroes like that, you know, uh, we need to be right on the justice question. We need to be right on, on ethics and, and truth. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm optimistic that, that we are in, we're on the threshold of a really new world that's going to be exciting. But, but, but people like Keisha Thomas and, and what she has done, uh, that's important. So show them examples. Yeah, because, yeah, because you, you can't eliminate the wicked. You can't, you have to love them, mm. you know? Yeah, what do you think, Alina? Um, so uh, the things that I'm, I'm thinking about are um, a little bit more, you, you know, um, day-to-day -day kind of instances like for example as a parent myself um, I I not only set an example for my own children um, but I'm also teaching them uh, not just in in my uh, the way that I try to for, forgive and, and do all those things and, and reconcile and move forward mm -hmm. uh, but I also teach them how how important um, they their words are when mm -hmm. they are telling someone that they have been wronged Hmm. Um, so for me, uh, even though there are days when I feel to myself, wow, my child is really on a monologue right now about how I shouldn't have opened her yogurt container for her or hmm. whatever the thing is that the six-year-old is bothered by. Um, I know that listening is primarily, uh, my, my job in that moment, hearing them, making sure that they know that, that I have heard them. Um, maybe, maybe at the very least making eye contact while they're talking, uh, if not reflective listening back to them. Um, and also the, the number one thing I've learned as a parent of small humans is that, um, I have to apologize a lot. Mm. Um, I am by no means perfect, uh, nor am I meant to be a full-time caregiver to my progeny. Um, I figured that out trying to stay at home with them for a couple of years when they were very, very small. Mm -hmm. um, and so I learned how to apologize very freely. Um, and I learned that, again, knowing that me as a big person and them as little people, the things that I do have a huge impact on their tiny and small worlds. And so for me to be quick to apologize and say, I'm going to do better next time, mm -hmm. um, it's vulnerable, but it's necessary um, and it also, uh, I, I noticed that it helps my kids to then say, okay, well, if she apologized, then maybe I should too, or maybe I didn't do something right that I should have done. And then the thing that we always sort of circle back to at the very end, and I do this with students as well um, as the third and fourth grade religion teacher, um, and even older kids, if, if something uh, is necessary like that, but we always um, come back to, okay, and what are we going to do differently next time? here's what I'm going to do differently next time. What are you going to do differently? Mm -hmm. um, because you can circle around and around the same argument, fight, um, apology, 
saying you forgive someone, you know, a hundred times, but if nothing changes, then there's really no trust in that. Um, there's nothing to sort of prove that, that you really are sorry and that you really are going to do better next time. So. Yes. Show them powerful examples of people offering forgiveness and grace. And I, I hear Josh saying, and then Alina, I think great advice, just practice uh, and model it for your, for your, for your children, whether those you're mm -hmm. teaching or those you're raising at, the, at home. So. I want to thank you both for uh, spending some time with me and our listeners on what I hope will be uh, this this course that we as a country and local communities follow um, in the months ahead, which is to uh, reconcile, to uh, bring ourselves back together through the challenges of the pandemic, through the challenges of the uh, tumult of an election year, and, and that we find peace and grace uh, for one and with, with and for one another. So thank you all for being with me on the From My Angle podcast. Thank you, David. What you guys are doing is amazing. So, Thanks, thanks. for having us, Dave. Thanks, Alina. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, we will seek out the perspectives of some teenagers on the topic of forgiveness and explore how it is that these young people heal the fractured relationships they encounter and the challenges they face in doing so. Until then, thanks for listening to the From My Angle podcast. <laughs>